Hey everybody, this is Issa Cosette and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And today we have a very special guest coming live from Jamaica, the Opal Palmer Adisa writer, poet, playwright, professor, scholar, critic, director, elder, like I am honored <laughs> to be able to sit with her again, but listen deeply to her story because when we first met in St. Croix, connected over our joys of poetry and Louise Bennett, and just those simple connections of her journey inspires me on my way. And I wanted to celebrate her story and share just a little bit of her wisdom with you all as we find our way. So tell the people just a little bit more about what you're doing, who you are. <laughs> okay, I'm not quite sure how to say all of that. But anyway, I'm currently in Jamaica, back home after being away for 20 odd years. And I'm the university director for the Institute for Gender and Development Studies. And that's at the University of the West Indies in Mona. So I run that program and we have units in Kayville and in Trinidad and on the Mona campus. And I oversee all of those units. And, you know, it's gender and development. So we look at gender and development issues. And um, I'm focusing primarily on gender-based violence and violence against children. So violence against women and girls is a big initiative now that's being funded by the Spotlight Initiative, the EU and the UN. And my unit has a grant, which is looking at the legislative laws, the acts and the bills, and whether or not they sufficiently support and uh, protect children and women in the way that they should. We make recommendations to parliament to um, augment the the, the, these laws and these bills so that they do what they're supposed to do. But of course, the big issue, even when the law or the act gets amended and passed is having an infrastructure so that it really works. And that's been a challenge in the Caribbean and certainly it is a challenge here in Jamaica, but we're working to ratify that. So that's, that's, that's the intellectual researcher cultural activist part of me, and it has taken over a great deal of my life. So um, I'm not doing as much creative writing as I normally do, but I do have two exciting projects, which I would love to share with you. As a result of being at the university director, uh, the Honorable Portia Simpson Miller, who is the first female prime minister of Jamaica, is a fellow with my unit. And so I have completed writing a children's authorized biography of her that will be coming out in September in time for schools. And we hope that's children are back in schools and they will be um, given this book because it's important that they know about our first female prime minister um, in Jamaica. So I'm very excited about that project. Very, very excited about that project and uh, have a wonderful illustrators and, uh, and I've seen sketches and it's just really wonderful. And it's called, the book is entitled Portia's Dream. It's a picture book uh, for children, um, eight, nine, you know, maybe someone six can also read it. So I'm very excited about that. And then I have a poetic prose collection that will be coming out 
before my birthday in November, I hope. And it's entitled The Storyteller's Return. And that book is autobiographical because it does chart my return to Jamaica and the memories and the way in which the memories uh, collide with history, um, the things that I am now encountering having come back and what it means to be not an expat, but you know, some people say, where are you from? And I'm like, what do you mean where I'm from? I'm from here. So anyway, that's coming out and I'm also excited about that. So I've been, I've been able to do those two books in the last three years, so I'm excited. I'm excited um, to see how, one, you retell this um, prime minister's story and also see how you explain your return because as I've returned home, I'm thinking about how the girl who left is not the woman who returned, right? Absolutely. And all of that I, I finally have now and I can stand in my power. And I, I, I wanna talk about, I would like for you to kind of talk about how you found your voice or your gift to celebrate not only your story, but also to highlight the truth of gender-based violence. Can you maybe talk about how did you come into this strong voice and how have you maintained such a powerful voice? I would like to contribute some of that to my mother, who was a very independent and powerful woman, but who stood on her, in her own. Um, I was just talking to my grown adult children and I was reminding them that their grandmother, my mother, bought a car and taught herself to drive in the 60s when, as far as I know, and I said I was going to check the records to find out, um, certainly in the community in which we live and on, when we weren't on the road, my mother was the only woman driver that I knew of besides two other white women um, from England who were part of a sugar estate. Um, and now, you know, we don't think about that because we see women drivers all the time. But as a child, there weren't any, you know? And I remember the flat my mother got when she bought that car and decided she was going to teach herself to drive. And people was like, you should leave that to a man. That is a man's thing. You know, sexism and patriarchy was big then in a way that it, it's, it still is, but in a very different way. So I contribute that to my mother. And I also contributed to the fact that my mother was always very mindful of people, very kind, very generous. In fact, my sister and I thought she was too generous that people took advantage of her. And it is because though of her generosity and teaching us to really hear and listen to others, I think that's how I found my voice. So what I wanted initially when I started writing poetry, it was simply to give back to others what I heard. You know, the beauty, the complexity, the funniness, you know, I just wanted them to hear that because I was hearing that. And I also feel very privileged that I grew up in a very beautiful environment on our sugar estate. And in a way I've come back to an estate, I'm living in college commons and it's very much like the sugar estate I grew up in, except they're not cane, they're mangoes and I'm eating too much. <laughs> so I think it was all of that you know, and I was considered precocious. My mother allowed me to explore the physical environment. I always eavesdropped on people. And I think all of those are what 
allowed me to find my voice through the celebration of my physical environment, as well as the people. And it's interesting, you know, because when I went to do my undergraduate in New York, believe it or not, English and writing was not on the books. I was very good at math and thought I was going to be a mathematician. Because even at that time, even though I knew of some writers like Louise Bennett and others, um, writing was not something that one said they were going to do. So, you know, you had to do something. My mother wanted me to be a lawyer. And I, by that time, I decided that I didn't want to be a lawyer. But I thought, well, a mathematician was a good thing. It's that journey and then going there and realizing that I wanted to share my story, not story that people had or thought they had about Jamaican. And again, in 1972 in New York, even though there was a Jamaican community and a Caribbean community in Brooklyn and else place, the notion of the Caribbean and Africa was still very backwards. I remember I had a friend from Ghana and this white student said to us, oh, so you live in a coconut tree, literally, you know, and my friend convinced them that he, rode an elephant to school. That's how dumb and backwards they were. But, you know, so it, then I realized that, my God, they know nothing about us. And uh, I had to make sure that they know what I wanted them to know about us. So it's all of that through which I found my voice. And it is still that that motivates me. Um, and that speaks my voice because I still have these stories and things that people need to know, like my children need to know that even though they grew up seeing me driving and all of my other women friends driving, that that was not the reality for their grandmother. So there are still these stories about Jamaica that not only my children, but other people need to know, you know, because with technology and modernization, there's a, a, a I think this generation sense of history is very warped in a way that you know, for me, history was an enormous stretch. But I think for many of the people, whether here in Jamaica or elsewhere, for this generation, history has somehow collapsed and condensed and is distorted. And there's so many things that are just 30 years old that people don't know about. You know, you talk to this generation and they know nothing about Jamaica before independence, which I find to be Amazing because, you know, I know <laughs> I lived it. So uh, my voice is still as a way of transmitting, translating, illuminating, um, showcasing the many stories of who we are as African, Caribbean, Jamaican people. Yes, I love that. And I love how you mentioned that your mother really helped and inspired that because I'm thinking about the things that she did in the first, right? And I'm sure those first things inspired you to do many first things and inspired mm -hmm. your children to do many first things among, amongst their peers, right? And that power really allows us, like you said, to illuminate, allows us to really walk into our power. And, you know, um, through our mother's grace, through our mother's resilience, we too can learn and we are reflected, right? We may not be able to be them per se, but we find our own ways to shine. And so I think about how mothering is an important theme in Caribbean women's writing and in your writing, and, and it's my now current focus. And, um, and I wanted to know maybe what is something that your mother instilled in you that you pass on to your children or your students or, you know, 
Well, I think for me, the thing that my mother has given me is a generosity of spirit. And sometimes I am overwhelmed because my mother was always helping people. And so I feel like I need to always help people. My mother was very conscious about responsibility to our community. And that was something that I instilled in my children that wherever you are, you have a responsibility, your community, that whenever you go outside, you are not just going outside as Shola or Teju or Jawara, you're going outside as the child of Opal, who is a child of Catherine and Orlando, who is a child of Ricardo and Anita, who is a child of um, Ezekiel and uh, Edith, you know, so that you don't ever step out by yourself. You step out with your ancestors. And, and that's important to know because that also empowers you and energize you, especially if you know the path they took and that you're on their shoulders and you are now able to take a different path and to make a leap because of what they did. So those are the two things my mother gave me, compassion and that you always had to give back to your community and that you don't represent yourself. You are, you're never alone. There are people behind you and there are people who will be ahead of you and you are paving the way for those others to be on your shoulder. Each of us has that responsibility to ensure that we provide a path that our progeny, and that's not just only our biological blood connection, our progeny can have a little easier way in terms of finding their own path and making their own place in the world. Once again, that goes back to really knowing like that thing called notion, like really knowing where you come from and knowing where you're going because um, once we understand the path that has been paved for us, we can walk through, but sometimes we forget and we think we're starting on way, but remembering, like you said, that our mothers, our mothers, mothers, our grand, like all of that lineage that comes when we walk in a room, it's not just us, right? That really will allow us to not only just give back, but to remember the communities, the villages. And I know for me, I've been considering and also thinking about the com my communities and what shaped me. And I'm also um, considering that like, as I think about maybe one day being a parent, not there yet, but one day. And I would like to know maybe your secrets of how did you successfully raise beautiful children around the world? So any secrets? <laughs> oh my gosh I don't even know sometimes I think about it and I met and I said to myself oh, well how did you do that with three children so here's the thing I grew up knowing that I was loved and my parents divorced when I was four four and a half and I remember hearing my mother saying to someone that my sister and I were her most precious luggage and wherever she were going we were going that there was never any way that we were going to be left behind so that's a really good thing to grow up knowing that you're loved and that you will not be abandoned and so I think I've given that to my children I wanted to give them to my children and I also wanted to give my children the world 
I didn't want them to feel that they were confined to a specific geographic location. I wanted them to understand, my God, the world belongs to you. You can go anywhere. And they have. And because I, this was my goal, I manage it. It was not easy. But one of the things I'll say, I took my children to a lot of conferences, Caribbean Women's Writers Conference, particularly, which we went to yearly. And I think because people saw me with my children, they helped me with my children, you know? So they knew that I was coming and they would find me a student or someone to help me with the children. Sometimes I took my mother with me because um, she, she hadn't traveled a lot and she, need, she wanted to see other islands. So that worked out perfectly, you know, while I'm doing my presentation, she's watching her grandkids. But here's the thing. I think the reason why I have been successful on the level that I've been successful is that I am extremely organized and I am extremely goal oriented. So every year for as long as I can remember, I would set myself goal in terms of my career, in terms of what I wanted to accomplish or where I wanted to take my children, in terms of my writing. Now I didn't always meet all of these goals. You know, I didn't think that my first novel was going to take me six years to write, but it did, right? But I set goals and I was very disciplined. Whereas now I need six to seven hours of sleep. I remember that there were years, more than 10, maybe 15, where I survived on four hours or less of sleep. Again, I'm saying, I don't know how I did it because I had three very active children who were in soccer, who were in dance, who were in music. And similar to my mother, I divorced when my youngest was four. And while they had every other weekend at their father's, I had the bulk of it and their homework and all of that stuff. But I think it was my determination. I wanted to leave them a legacy um, of, of my work but also of what it means to be an independent woman who would not allow her gender or her race to restrict where she go or what she did. I wanted to set that example for them. That was really important for me. And so when it was hard, I grit my teeth and I push through. I grit my teeth and I push through. That legacy, that is definitely key and to remember not only like just thinking about what we leave for the world, but what we leave for our children, because I'm sure they like just more reflections of you and your greatness. And I know that a way to hear and understand a little bit of your legacy and how flexible you are, you have a poem to share with us today. Yes, I do. It's a new poem. And, you know, these days I've been getting to wonder how poetic I am because it's more about the message and this is about the message and it's also a reflection of where I am. It's called how to read progress. And I was thinking about myself and some other colleagues who are activists and feminists and who have been in the trenches for a while and how we're feeling now, you know, and sometimes you think about all the work you've done for all these many years and you wonder if it's reflected. So this, this piece is, is, is that, how to read progress. After 40 years in the trenches, she was a tired feminist, not willing yet to say disillusion, but somewhere between that and depressed. 
She had taken off her bra and tossed it in the bonfire, not just for sexual freedom, but to stop the imposed limitations. She was still helping women to cope with the same conditions, a fist to the face, grasped around the neck, pulled behind a dumpster, legs pried open, left with vagina bleeding, and the same accusation. Why were you out so late walking alone? Yes, there were tangible gains, women leaders, but many young women and girls are still being denied an education and are being trafficked. In our 60s now, with sagging breasts, few notices her, but she presses on waving the tattered feminist flag. The imagery of the truth of one's journey, I, I, I constantly think about you guys, how you guys have endured so much. And sometimes I do get scared, like, I'm just getting started. I'm so tired. How have they done it for so long? Tired so long. and weary. And um, many of us have not taken as good care of ourselves as we should. I think um, Barbara Christian, the late Barbara Christian from um, St. Thomas, the feminist scholar, Caribbean scholar. I remember Barbara was very instrumental when I was 40. I remember her saying, you and your generation of new scholars need to do better than we and take care of yourselves. And so one of the things that I've also been conscious of since I, maybe about 45, was taking care of myself, getting regular massages before I would frown on getting a manicure and stuff like that. And these are really important things that we need to do for ourselves. And a lot of feminists who are older than I am, and even some in my age group in their 60s, haven't done that and they're weary, and they have lots of health issues because they also didn't eat properly or exercise, and that's something I've been doing very regularly too. It's really important. One of the things I will say to you as a young feminist coming up is to take care of yourself and to really practice balance in terms of time out, you know, doing your work, doing the community work, because that's hard. It takes a lot out of you and many times without thanks. So in order for you to persevere, you are going to have to take care of yourself. You're going to have to find out what nurtures you and what rejuvenates you. I'm a nature person. I need to walk. I need to go on a hike or I need to go sit at the beach. So these are things that I do for myself and my body gets tight. So I, you know, schedule in. A massage, maybe this bill isn't going to get paid, but I'm going to get myself a massage. So it's really important as you coming out into the world that you decide how much you can do. And again, it's another thing. You see, I think a lot of women, my generation and older, like Barbara Christian, they felt they had to do it all, you see? And so they really ran themselves ragged. And so I have been able to gauge between those who I saw literally put themselves in the ground because of not being able to say no and not being able to take time for themselves. 
And um, so I've balanced that. And I think I've done a really good job. So it's really self-help is really key to your longevity, to your endurance, to your ability to effect positive change in your community. Yes, to all that. And that's something that when you're on the plane, they say, if in case of emergency, put your mask on first right? Because you can't help no one else if you don't. So, And that's I what I say. That. I use that example all the time. That's a perfect example. Yes. Mm-hmm. How are you on your way, Opal? You know what? I feel coming home, I've gotten a new lease on life. I am really energized. I am really grateful that I was, you know, many people make it back home when they're old and done. And so I'm really grateful that I'm back and I'm not done, that there are many things that I see that needs to be done and I'm participating fully and wholly. Um, I am, how am I on my way? Just enjoying life. You know what? Gratitude. I get up every day and I feel so grateful. You know, just coming home today, I, today was the first day I went into the office and it was because I needed to organize t-shirts and stuff with my staff. But as I was coming in, I saw my plants. And before I even came through the door, I was, you know, watering and cutting off dead leaves and things like that. And just giving thanks. You know, I live in a space where there's three mango trees. There are mangoes on the ground. I'll pick up mangoes tomorrow to give to friends. You know, uh, I grow things and I can share with, with people. I have a beautiful home with with art and it's comfortable and it's safe and it's quiet. I have a job that I love, (laughs) you know? So it's like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way in life. I'm on my way doing me and doing life. I'm on my way working on the words and the, the, the literary legacy that I wanna leave. I'm on my way, really strengthening my body and understanding in my 60s is really important that I keep up my exercise. Um, I'm on my way because my voice is strong and I use it to speak for myself and for others. Um, I'm on my way because I'm Catherine's daughter and my mother bequeathed me love and compassion and community. I'm on my way because I am confident that I have created three beautiful human beings who are also on their way, who have a sense of community, who have a sense of purpose, and each is just being magnificent in their own right. And that's a very important and difficult charge. And I can proudly say I have helped to create three amazing human beings i'm on my way oh yes i'm so happy i know they're so proud i know everyone who gets to just enter your energy and your presence are just filled with love and wisdom and that generosity that you are given and that love that you give and may be given back to you and your children and your children's children and the legacy that is lived and as people read you they can understand your power they can understand your story uh, thank you so much. Tell the people where can they connect with you at? 
<laughs> I'm on social media. I'm very public. So on Facebook, Opal Palmer Adisa, and Instagram, on LinkedIn, and I have my website, Opal Palmer Adisa. Just Google me and you can find my work. Please purchase my books. Um, please uh, just be good. Just be a voice of change. Be a voice of change. Thank you. To all of our wonderful listeners, as you listen to a piece of this wonderful lady's legacy. She has done so much and I know the work that she continues to do and will do will outlive her and will continue to shine and remember that she has been a light that brought change, that brought justice, that brought peace and balance that we needed. And as you continue on your way, just trust your journey that it'll take you where you need to go. Until next time, this is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed.